Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 56, Allie here with Becky. Hey guys. And today's topic for episode 56 is rebounding your body from trauma. This is a topic that definitely is not talked about enough and feels like it is important and timely with everything that's been going on, starting from the end of the summer with the high stress events with the hurricanes from Harvey, Irma, and Jose, to the most recent news in the Vegas, uh, Las Vegas shooting, and then just ongoing individual episodes of concerns of things like sexual assault or trauma from car accidents or varied dynamic interpersonal or external stress responses in the body. Yes, I think this episode is just so needed and so many of our clients I know were personally affected either by Harvey or are experiencing after effects of this or, you know, other recent traumatic events. So today we'll be sharing some tips for how to actually recover your body from trauma, be it a major physical or um, health stressor or some of the more emotional psychological aspects of going through something like a natural disaster or other traumatic event. Yes, and when we're talking about functional medicine, as y'all have probably heard me discuss before, we're always looking at that root cause of chronic illness. And so trauma that has affected an, an individual within the last three months or the last three years or the last 30 years can still serve as the Achilles heel or the triggering event of imbalance in their body. And so today's episode, hopefully we're able to provide some solutions and ideas of how you can address trauma on the front end to prevent the trickle-down influence that can drive disorder in mind and body as well as whole body health. So let's start off, Allie, by defining trauma for listeners. We just did an episode, it was episode 54 on anxiety, but I want to get into how trauma is different and how the experience of trauma is different than that of anxiety. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, anxiety can follow trauma and it can even be independent without trauma. But when we're talking about trauma, this is typically something that's much more dynamic. So physical trauma could be some form of injury to the individual. So it could be traumatic brain injury. It could be a car accident. It could be surgery. Um, we're also looking at <laughs> Houston's like, yes, Houston's experiencing his <laughs> <That's Betty's> job <laughs> from the construction workers outside right now. Emotional trauma. <laughs> Not funny, but yes. Um, yeah. So physical trauma could be a car accident. It could be surgery. It could be, uh, like I said, post concussive syndrome. So physical trauma could be from sports injury or something like that. Um, I know every football Sunday, I just sit there and like, oh, oh my gosh. Um, emotional or uh, psychological trauma could be the other form of trauma. And so this could be following a near-death experience, 
uh, death of a loved one, dynamic emotional uh, issues with following divorce or again interpersonal relationships, family relationships, sexual assault or violence could fall on both ends of physical and emotional uh, experience during war or military and, and post-traumatic stress disorder we'll talk about later in this episode definitely being emotional um, and even experiencing something like a national disaster, natural disaster. So maybe we didn't physically get influenced by that, but emotionally we've we've been really hit uh, by a, a, nat- a natural disaster, and that could be a, a big one as well. So basically, it is an emotional response, generally speaking, following a physiological response or one that works very chicken and egg inter interrelated, and um, it typically follows a extreme incident like an accident rape natural disaster and immediately after the event there's often following this numbness in the individual some form of shock or denial and then as things start to precipitate out as time passes we start to see some unpredictable emotions flashbacks Uh, potentially strained interpersonal relationships, and then physical symptoms that can start to come above surface like nausea, headaches, tremors. And and today we're going to talk about some of those underlying physiological mechanisms, what actually happens in the body following a traumatic event, and how we can address to heal and resolve. Awesome. I think that's very helpful. So Let's start off with talking about some of these symptoms that could be experienced by trauma survivors. Yes. So I think we always start with thinking of the gut being the second brain of the body. So GI distress is the first place that I think. And we call the GI tract the enteric nervous system. And it houses the second most nerves in the body after the brain. And also we've discussed in prior episodes that in the GI tract is where a lot of our neurotransmitters or feel-good neurohormones are manufactured. So there's definitely a brain-body connection when we're talking about that brain-gut access. And we can see GI distress following trauma or uh, emotional distress in the form of diarrhea or constipation. So either overactivity in the GI tract or underreactivity in some form of paralysis. We can even see to the form of gastroparesis where the upper area, the gastric pouch, does not have that natural pumping activity. We can see bloating or distension following trauma, and that can be based on a shift within fermentation and the microbiome or a lack of enzymes because the body produces digestive enzymes when it's in that relaxed and or rest and digest mode. And when it's in the fight or flight mode, it only makes about a quarter of the amount of enzymes. So we can get bloating because we don't have those chemicals to break down the food particles, or we can get bloating because of a GI shift in our microbiome. And then we can even get things like vomiting and nausea following stress. So from the change of stool, whether it's diarrhea, constipation, bloating, vomiting, and nausea, those are the big first thing we look at. Then the entire immune system can get hit. So we can see with the immune system either over or under reactivity. So we can see hyper reactivity where the immune system, the stress responds in the body to go into an autoimmune flare where the immune system starts to target its own tissues and glands. 
and upregulate destruction. And so this is where we'll start to see onset of things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease. We can see autoimmune disease flare following trauma. And that's often as a functional medicine practitioner, we try to see where are the peaks in their stress response and kind of where was that chicken and egg relationship. And at the same time, the immune system can also go into shutdown mode. So if it doesn't go into autoimmune disease and hyperreactivity overexpression, it can go into shutdown mode where the immune system becomes basically paralyzed by the stress response and it doesn't work as a surveillance mechanism anymore. So this is where in hypo response, we can be more susceptible to viral influences, to bacterial pathogen influences, so that can influence the GI tract, or to things like cancer, where the immune system does not upregulate its natural killer cells, and it doesn't determine a foreign invader in the, in the body. And so the immune system is in hypo response or downregulated response. And then what about things like physical pain or chronic pain disorders? Yeah, so we can see both chronic fatigue syndrome and also chronic pain disorder following trauma, where we can see things from varied from headaches to body aches. And chronic pain often follows an imbalance with our neurotransmitters. So our epinephrine, which is one of our neurotransmitters, which is essentially like our adrenaline, tends to go on high following inflammation. But when our neurotransmitters flatline and our cortisol poops out as well, and we have that hypoadrenal or adrenal fatigue, we don't have natural anti-inflammatories, and so we tend to have systemic pain. We can also see this from low serotonin output. So as our neurotransmitters and our cortisol flatline following trauma, we're going to have increased pain throughout the body. And that same mechanism, I guess just connecting the dot a little bit further, that same mechanism can also drive then the mood disturbances. So this is where we can see more propendency towards anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and then like I said, that chronic fatigue syndrome or insomnia on the other end of the spectrum if those neurotransmitters are off kilter. Okay, so we have a lot to cover today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's start with what actually happens and go back to um, talking about, let's talk about the HPA axis and what happens to the body after a traumatic event. Yeah, so I kind of alluded to this a little bit where the HPA axis is our hypothalamus pituitary adrenal. And the hypothalamus and pituitary are in the brain, the adrenals sit above the kidneys, and these are our three primary autonomic nervous system responders for your sympathetic nervous system. And so these are what respond to stress, okay? And so the HPA axis gets upregulated, and that is our fight or flight mechanism of the body in response to trauma or in response to a stressful episode. And the issue with trauma is is that tends to precipitate or be quite prolonged. And so we're driving in this excess fight or flight mode on high output, and eventually that can drive imbalance. Typically speaking, we tend to see the body go in hyper response before it goes hypo. So we're typically going to see excessive cortisol output at first, 
and excessive norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine. And those are our excitatory compounds of the adrenals. The adrenal cortex makes our cortisol and DHEA. The medulla makes our neurotransmitters, the epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine. So all of those things go kind of dumped out of the system on high release. And even for someone that has some level of adrenal fatigue, typically those adrenals will get squeezed out like a sponge during high trauma. And this is why we feel kind of invincible during the immediate times of survival or during the immediate times of high stress. So if you have uh, actually like run from a pit bull in your neighborhood, right? Or if you've had an episode where you've um, been in a car accident, you may not experience pain. You may not experience Um, the immediate physiological repercussions at first, and that's because those compounds are so high in the body. But after what comes up must go down, right? After those have been high in the body, there's going to be a cascade of a drop. And it just kind of depends on what level of the spectrum you're at. So an individual that's dealing with a lot of insomnia following trauma may have still elevated epinephrine or elevated peaks of cortisol in the evening versus their cortisol coming down, which helps with that relaxation. And that could be driving their insomnia or or increased anxiety and rumination. That same individual could have a flat line of cortisol and epinephrine, but it could be that their serotonin and GABA, those relaxing inhibitory compounds, have become even more dynamically pooped So there is still a relationship of all of them being low and flatlined, but the relative distribution is so low in the rebalancing serotonin and GABA, and those are our landing gear in the brain, that that individual is still expressing excessive epinephrine or adrenaline. And so, you know, everything can be chronically low, but it could be a relative symphony within that expression that can still drive symptoms of anxiety. And um, generally speaking, the biggest thing to understand is that the body's survival mechanism is to put high amounts of the cortisol and these adrenaline-like surges during the trauma. And each individual's metabolism is going to play a role on how slowly those precipitate out and how that flatline effect influences the individual. It's so interesting. And so it's this adaptive response. You know, it need, we need it. This is what keeps us alive. But then... Certain individuals may be more susceptible or um, have a harder time actually rebounding afterwards. Yeah, and what's interesting, um, Becky, is in our practice, we've talked about to you guys how we run a BIA scan or a body bioelectrical impedance analysis. And basically, this is like a scan of the body that looks at percent body fat and distribution. And what's interesting is, um, be that our our brick and mortar practice is in Houston. You know, Becky works with most clients in the Houston area, and I work with clients everywhere (laughs) as well as Houston. But I've seen a lot when looking over scans that visceral body fat from August to date, so we're in October now, um, that visceral body fat has gone up in individuals and even some individuals that have still lost weight. And that's based on the mechanism of cortisol. So it's really wild. You know, even people that didn't evacuate, um, just likely from being glued to their TV, dealing with emotional trauma of Harvey and how their family members were influenced or doing more volunteer work or just having that kind of perpetual anxiety of it being a pretty extreme moving event. We've seen visceral fat clinically shift, and that's based on a physiological response of cortisol. So cortisol drives visceral fat production in the body as a survival mechanism, and that's just one way that we've seen that in an assessment. 
That is so wild that it can have an effect even on our body composition. Right. Something that you would totally not attribute. Yep. Um, so let's get into a little bit of um, the criteria for diagnosing PTSD. Yes. So when we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, there's four basic symptoms and they have to continue for longer than a month. And that's when really kind of it would become diagnostic. So if we're having reverberating memories of the event in the form of dreams, uh, images, strong imagery, or, or physiological responses like tremors or twitches, and these respond for more than a month. That's one of, of the, the symptoms for sure. Another thing would be going out of your way to avoid situations that remind you of the event. So this would be anytime, if, if it was hurricane-based, anytime there's a storm, not leaving the home, um, or this could be avoiding certain highways if you've had a car accident, or uh, taking cover when you hear the sound of an airplane, um, following things like 9-11. Um, so all these things that we're doing to actually avoid situations that remind us as a trigger to the event would be a, bi a big hit as well. And that would proceed beyond a month that would be more of a PTSD. Um, we've seen this in military for people that have had PTSD post-combat. Uh, the sound of fireworks, for instance, being a big trigger uh, to correlate with, with like a machine gun or, or other artillery in the military. Uh, seeing changes in how thoughts work, so mood functions becoming more irritable on a chronic level, having significant brain fog um, or like short-term memory relapses where we've actually numbed out circumstantial memories um, or dissociated memories or having distorted memories of events. Uh, finding blame on self or blame on the world or withdrawing from activities and feeling numb and detached. So a shift in the emotional and thought process or memory piece is, is a big one as well. And then last but not least, um, having the body, the physiological response where the body stays kind of keyed up or agitated or tight following the trauma with that epinephrine that continues to perpetuate beyond that month period. So jumpy, hyperreactivity, hypervigilance, um, tension in the muscles, driving chronic fatigue. This can all drive more brain fog, more difficulty concentrating, and can definitely drive things like insomnia. And um, even to the level of uh, muscle flicks and ticks um, and agitation. And that can drive, like I said, a little bit of irritability or anger outbursts and can then, of course, influence relationships, uh, job performance, and day-to-day and -day functionality. Okay. And then there are other physical symptoms as well beyond those we've already talked about that we might not necessarily at first glance even associate with the traumatic events. So let's right. talk about those. So one of the physical symptoms that I would like to call out loudly, you know, is the metabolic shift, like I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So the change of actually increased body fat storage or uh, the inability to lose weight would be a physical symptom. Uh, and then there's more of the dynamic physical symptoms that, again, would be more epinephrine or kind of survival cascade responses like trem trembling and shaking, changes in body temperature, hot or hot flashes or cold chills that are dynamic, dynamic numbness and tingling sensations or neurological responses would be another one. Uh, the GI distress, like we discussed, so nausea, 
a uh, generalized sick feeling, loss of appetite, or even to the level of vomiting or loose stools or constipation that has been dynamically changed following trauma. A tightness in the chest, so either pressure on the chest um, or our uh, uh, palpitations or changes in cardiovascular function. Shortness in breath or more shallow breathing would be a big thing we would see as well. Uh, a lump in our throat or uh, that's kind of also seen with anxiety or, or dry mouth. Dizziness and vertigo can be seen. A generalized like out of body feeling and that can be more mental but it can also be physical like just not feeling grounded, feeling flighty, feeling disconnected. And then the kind of panic attack type symptoms which would pull a lot of these together. So typically looking like Tunnel vision, uh, tightness of breath, shortness of breath, excuse me, tightness in the chest, and racing thoughts all kind of following. And, and this is, could be deemed as a, a feeling like you're going to die or a, a significant fear response. Sure. And then um, if all of this is not dealt with, let's talk about kind of what this can lead to and, and how this can really dramatically impact our lives. So like I said, you know, this can this can be following an episode that happened three months ago. It could be an episode that happened three years ago or 30 years ago. So many of us have events in our life that are traumatic, um, following death, following, like we mentioned, uh, things like abuse, be it verbal or physical or sexual. And um, this can play a huge role on how our HPA access or our fight or flight response is reactive going forward. So this can create, this level of PTSD can create a higher propensity towards hypervigilance or hyporeactivity, either again that numbing-like response or that overexcitatory response in the body. And that can play a huge role with then our emotional um, reactivity to how we cope going forward with day-to-day -day levels of maybe what other people wouldn't deem as trauma, but other levels of stress that can either upregulate trauma response or we're not able to be resilient to even a moderate level of stress. We hit that fly on the wall flat line because we've already kind of pooped out that, that element of the body. Sure. And, and I think a question that we ask clients, um, you know, when we're doing their initial evaluation is how do you cope with stress and what are some of your mechanisms? Do you feel like you cope well? And it's like, you have to remember that everyone is kind of fighting their own personal battle, if you will. And that one person's level of stress that would set them off might be different than someone else's. Absolutely. And there's so many physiological mechanisms, you know, so we've talked a lot about the neurotransmitters involved and the steroid hormones, the cortisol involved. But like I said, even down to the level of this influencing our gut bacteria, often we overlook this Achilles heel of stress. And that's why the emotional mental piece is such an important element of, of really full-term recovery and whole body health. And unfortunately, you know, we talked a lot about this as far as like mental health and connection in the uh, Live Your Bliss episode. But I often think about this like onion layering effect of stress or these tapes, these cassette reels that the trauma speaks so much louder and is recorded in our body as muscle memory or emotional memory so much louder in the expression 
that we often don't hear the positives or the balancing or the um, emotional gratifying influences to record over those negative. And so it takes a lot of emotional work as well as physiological work, identifying neurotransmitter imbalances, working with amino acids and adaptogenic and nervine herbs, as well as our microbiome to really help to reset as a trifecta this whole, this whole puzzle, if you will. Sure. And then we see things like adrenal fatigue as well, where, you know, we could be giving all of the right supplements and doing all of the right assessments and we're not getting that rebound that we might get in someone else. It's so interesting. Yep. Yep. And, and, and like I said, you know, if you just start with uh, gut bacteria, but overlook adrenal, you're not going to get the right outcomes. And if you just start adrenal, but don't, but don't address the lifestyle and the mental health element, you're not going to get that right outcomes. So you're just going up a downhill escalator. So it's a, it's a whole piece um, puzzle solution. And I think we saw a lot of this connecting in our last class of our virtual ketosis program where we emphasized stress and some of the people that had hit stubborn plateau in their weight loss really realized some of those interpersonal elements and emotional demons, if you will, that, that have to be dealt with to get whole body health expression. Okay. So let's talk about what steps we can take if you know or suspect that that trauma is your Achilles heel? Yeah. So I think, like I said, there's two parts of the puzzle. I, I definitely recommend working with a functional medicine practitioner um, and you can do work with Becky or I on a neurotransmitter piece of the puzzle. So this would be looking at like our neurohormone complete plus assessment or our neuroadrenal assessment and actually looking at where your baseline levels of cortisol, DHEA, those are their, those, uh, Cortisol and DHA are those steroidal hormones, and then also our neurotransmitters to tailor and adjust and work as an individualized level. But in addition to that, you need to work with a qualified practitioner on an emotional level um, as a psychiatrist or psychotherapist or a um, coach that is trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, I would definitely recommend. So CBT can really help you to start to identify your thought patterns in your brain and work with the what ifs or I could but I'd rather not thought patterns and they can work with exposure therapy and processing traumatic events. You may also look for a practitioner that is trained in EFT which is the emotional freedom technique. This can really help to desensitize the brain and body. It's a form of a psychological acupressure if you will it's based on the same meridians that are used in traditional acupuncture to treat physical influence in the body, but this really addresses the emotional ailments, and it's been used for over 5,000 years. It's a very empowering technique where an EFT practitioner can teach the individual to use a simple tapping with their fingertips to input kinetic energy into meridians that connect with this psychosomatic relationship or brain-body connection. So actually tapping energy meridians and voicing positive affirmations can clear the short circuits or the emotional blocks 
And this gives a biofeedback in our body to restore the mind and body balance. So we're able to identify basically energy blocks or drivers of anxiety, drivers of numbing, drivers of physiological imbalance, and basically clear those short circuits by the tapping and inserting a emotional positive affirmation. So I, I really have seen awesome clinical outcomes with both EFT and CBT as adjuvants to working with a functional practitioner with amino acids, neurotransmitters, and our steroids with our adrenal rebound. Awesome. And then let's um, go back and just talk a little bit more about assessment. So talking about the neurohormone complete plus panel that you just mentioned and the neuroadrenal panel, how those work and how we would use that data to work with the client. Sure. So the neurohormone complete plus and the neurohormone complete, which are seen on our website. So you can go to AllieMillerRD.com under, I believe it is, let me follow along. I believe it's my clinic. Yes, so under the My Clinic tab, there is a Labs tab, and under the Labs tab, you would look at the Hormonal and Neurotransmitter Evaluation section. And in that section, the Neurohormone Complete is the same as the Neurohormone Complete Plus, except for the Complete Plus is for women and Complete is for men. So there's just gonna be a variance of the women's panel is going to be, I think about a difference of $40 because it looks at three forms of estrogen versus the men's panel just looks at one form of estrogen. Those are going to look at the cascade of our sexual hormones, so our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, as well as our steroidal hormones, which is the cortisol and DHEA. And this is a great picture to look at. I really recommend looking at the big piece of the puzzle because often we get sexual hormone imbalance following trauma. Um, So a lot of women will lose their cycle, for instance. And remember that even exercise can drive trauma, right? And so trauma physiologically on the body, like taking on CrossFit after being a couch potato, can be a dynamic change. And we can see amenorrhea in women or going to marathon running and not shifting the body gradually. So having a physiological impact on the body that's dynamic can play a role in our sexual hormone balance. Also important for men to check in on because cortisol can play an imbalance in their testosterone production. So looking at the plus or complete panel would include the sexual hormone and the steroidal hormone. And those panels both also look at all of our neurotransmitters, which includes our serotonin and GABA, which are basically like our landing gear for the brain and then our excitatory neurotransmitters, the three of which are made by the adrenals, which are our norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine, as well as our glutamate, which is another excitatory neurotransmitter. And as I mentioned, this is a symphony of expression. So if all are pan low or low across the board, that would is what we would see with more of a PTSD type candidate. Well, even within that individual, there's going to be relative imbalance. So the serotonin, for instance, might be 10 times low outside the reference range, where that epinephrine may only be about a 10% reduction or just below the reference range. And so relatively in that individual, they're still gonna be expressing 
excessive epinephrine or that kind of excitatory response of more anxiousness, insomnia. And so we're going to want to replete the whole cascade and really work on both the adrenal gland, but also making sure that we don't overproduce further that epinephrine in our rebound, that we drive with rebounding the serotonin so we get a symphony of balance of expression. So we're going to want to drive more aggressively in that individual maybe with 5-HTP as well as L-theanine, as well as some adrenal rebounders to rebuild the expression across the board. So super important to look at the complete picture. Yes, Um, yes. And then let's talk more about other supplements. So you mentioned a little bit of the adrenal support. Let's talk about supplements that could be used to support after trauma. Yeah. So I, I, I always go to data first. Like I said, especially when, if we're dealing with any of these physiological responses and we know we've experienced trauma, I definitely recommend running the panel to get an assessment. However, if that's cost prohibitive or we just need some tools today, there are supplements that you can use strategically that would not drive imbalance regardless. So the first one I'd recommend is our calm and clear. And our Calm and Clear is a blend of nervines and adaptogens. And I want to make a note when I'm re- when I am recommending the Calm and Clear, this is the naturally nourished Calm and Clear. I did find, unfortunately, with supplements, um, you know, because they are not FDA regulated, people can name supplements anything. So just kind of for reference, you guys. Um, don't just go Google Calm and Clear. You'll want to actually go on the website under our store or shop tab. And you'll want to go under the supplement formulas to read on the naturally nourished line of the Calm and Clear. Um, but anyway, our Calm and Clear includes forms of nervines and adaptogens. So nervines are herbs that help us with our nervous system overreactivity. So they are more sedative or relaxing. And then adaptogens help us to adapt to high stress demand. So this actually allows for resilience to stress as well as calming down the stress response. And then it also includes B vitamins, which help as as neurotransmitter cofactors, so help with production of our neurotransmitters in rebound. It also has vitamin C to fuel the adrenal glands, and then L-theanine, which helps as a modulator to our neurotransmitters. So L-theanine really helps us to capitalize on our alpha brainwave production. And alpha brainwaves are what are seen during concentration, focus, clarity, deep meditation, REM cycles of sleep. And so this formula really in its entirety provides stress relaxation, stress resilience, as well as cognitive clairvoyance. And that's why we named it Calm and Clear. It's very supportive. And I would start at six a day as recommended on the site. So it can be taken with or without food, kind of two at rise, two midday, two at bed. Um, and then you can bring that down to three as more of a baseline formula, but that's really the, the, a great go-to. Then there's bundles that we've created for you on both ends of the equation. So there's a stress bundle and an adrenal bundle. The adrenal bundle includes adrenal support, which is actually a glandular formula. And this is to rebound your adrenals if you are in that flatline, stressed and tired and um, really dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pain, um, also dealing with um, a very low affect and low energy. So the adrenal support has adrenal glandular compound and B6 to help with really rebounding the cortisol and the salivary uh, 
the steroid hormones of the adrenals, so the cortisol and DHEA, as well as helping with the excitatory neurotransmitters. So the adrenal support has the active glandular and the B6. That's gonna rebound across the board your adrenal gland. And then it also has adaptogen boost with that calm and clear in there. And adaptogen boost is a blend of adaptogen herbs, which help us just like the calm and clear, but more specifically, to adapt to high stress demand. So for dealing with stressed and tired and needing more resilience, the Adaptogen Boost is another good blend that's herbal and won't overshoot. So the Adrenal Bundle has that, whereas the Stress Bundle has the Adaptogen Boost and the Calm and Clear, and it also includes GABA. And GABA is a neuroinhibitory compound that helps to reduce that white knuckle stress response. So if we're dealing with anxiety, more palpitations, racing thoughts, that individual would not want to take the adrenal glandular adrenal support compound because that could overdrive them. That individual would want to do the stress bundle with the GABA, which is more of the anticipatory distress, racing thoughts, irritability, tension, uh, and that's when that's going to be more of a relaxer and a kind of, again, reducing that white knuckle irritability or increased stress reactivity in the body, that's gonna be more calmative on the system. So the adrenal bundle would be for those that are more stressed and, and tired. The stress bundle would be for more of those that are stressed and wired. And if you're not sure which bank of the river you fall on, you could start with the adaptogen boost and calm and clear, as you can tell, those two are in both of those, those bundles because they're safe on both ends of the, both banks of the river if you are. Awesome. So I think those are some really good tools for listeners to use and just knowing that there's something out there that could help and we don't just need to kind of muscle through this, that there are actual compounds that we can take um, yeah. and assessments that can be done to help. For sure. And I mean, connecting it back full circle to the weight loss journey, again, we had people in our virtual ketosis program that after starting the Calm and Clear saw a, a significant whoosh in their weight loss because again, their cortisol started to be regulated. So they didn't have that driver of visceral body fat um, production and they had that rebound in their adrenals. So they actually enhanced their metabolic function and also felt more grounded. <laughs> We've had people actually, uh, a testimonial that said, I never knew that I needed calm and clear, but <laughs> I feel that calm and clear has not only increased the connection with my children it's also saved my marriage and has had numbers of movement on the scale and so i mean it's kind of across the board one of those that's a great tonifying formula that can help metabolically as well all right so i'm always popping those all day long yeah it's um. one of my favorites <laughs> So let's transition and talk just a little bit about the immune hit that the body can take from a traumatic event. So a lot of times I'll see this with clients where they're in high stress, they're kind of in that hyper go, go, go mode. And then the minute that they stop or the stress, you know, takes a back seat or they try to tr take a break or go on vacation or something, they seem to come down with like every cold or virus that's going on, or they'll hit this real hypo um, immune mode. So let's talk about why this happens and some things, just some basic ideas we can use to support the immune system. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of the bride, the bride following a wedding, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> like seriously, <laughs> how many of your friends, I mean, I don't know. I, I know a lot. I'm always like, that's my um, recommendation to when friends get married. I'm like, girl, you should just do like a quick weekend and then do your honeymoon like a month after yep. you need your adrenals yep. to reset. <laughs> 
gosh. And it is. It's that buzz, buzz, buzz. And I mean, a wedding is another idea. It's not trauma, I hope, but it's another high adrenaline event, right? Where you're like just like numb running on adrenaline. And then it's um, poof, that fly on the wall. And, and you just had your one year wedding anniversary. To, I'm sure I know. You... I think my adrenals have finally rebounded. <laughs> Like mine was so long ago, old, old lady with the seven year, I think it was seven years ago or something. Anyway, um, so yeah, absolutely. Immune system is so connected to our stress response. And I think that's a great visual, Becky, to give people is like this buzzing, 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 kind of flat line. And I always try to assess this with patients as well as far as their resilience. And so a couple of things that that's all connected to this hyper hypo reaction. So both in the adrenals and the immune response. Um, so as the adrenals kind of surge, the cortisol and things like that, that does um, have a resilience factor. It tends to reduce histamine expression. Cortisol is very anti-inflammatory. So it's kind of suppressing the immune system. And then as that all kind of flatlines, the immune system flatlines as well. Um, and then beyond that, there's also an influence on our microbiome. Um, and so I connected this as well as, as vitamins and minerals. So a lot of vitamins and minerals that are connected to the adrenals also correspond to our immune. So I mentioned in the Calm and Clear having vitamin C to support the adrenals. Well, vitamin C is like, you know, any Joe Schmo off the street, I think, would think that, oh, I think vitamin C is good for my immune system. And that's been a big connection that we've seen in medical literature, the connection of things like zinc and vitamin C in supporting our immune system. Well, taking this a step back, those nutrients also play a huge correlation with our adrenals, right? So zinc plays a huge role with our testosterone expression and our sexual hormone relationship and vitamin C is actually stored in the adrenal glands and so when the adrenals are taxed vitamin C gets depleted and the immune system gets hit because the immune system requires vitamin C for its resilience so when we're looking at micronutrient assessment we're always identifying right the whys of deficiency and stress can be a big driver of deficiency of our immune nutrient needs so one thing we can do is replete those nutrients. So looking at things like vitamin C and zinc are big players for immune support. But also we can preemptively stay on top of the game with probiotic support. So a cup of culture a day is always my ongoing mantra. And that's because that's going to help to support the microbiome. That's going to help to support our rebound to stress response because we'll manufacture more serotonin and GABA with a balanced microbiome. And that's going to be our landing gear to our stress response. And then also actually supporting our microbiome just for, like you mentioned, susceptibility to bacteria and virus. So actually helping our immune system to not be on that fly on the wall rebound where we're susceptible to cold virus flu. So our immune system can actually be supported by probiotics, both by making beneficial neurotransmitters for our brain and our stress response, as well as protecting our body from foreign invaders um, and helping to optimize our surveillance function to fight against even things like cancer or to enhance our body surveillance function to not over-respond in autoimmune-related diseases. So probiotic foods daily and a probiotic-rich supplement. 
Um, my favorite supplement as a baseline formula is the Naturally Nourished Restore Baseline Probiotic, which is a 50-50 blend of the lacto and bifidobacteria cultures, which are the two most well-researched strains that occupy our, our large intestines. And then our uh, probiotic foods, we could rotate from cultured vegetables. You really only need about a quarter to an eighth, eighth to a quarter cup of cultured vegetables, so not a full cup of those. Um, kefir or yogurt, about six ounce portion, and then kombucha up to a six to eight ounce portion. All of these could be used in rotation as probiotic rich foods as well. Awesome. And then let's take it a step further, um, just because this podcast will be timely with cold and flu season as well. Yeah. Let's talk about some natural antivirals and antimicrobials that can be used. Sure. So I would definitely, we'll link in our show notes, the recipe to our master tonic. Um, and this is something that's been rumored to have like eradicated the plague <laughs> back hundreds of years ago, um, and this includes a lot of antiviral and antimicrobial compounds. So garlic is one of the first driving um, ingredients in here, and garlic has the allicillin, um, which has a lot of sulfur activity to upregulate detox properties, but also um, very potent antifungal and antimicrobial and antiparasitic influence. You want to crush all your garlic to start the recipe and allow it to get oxygenated for about 10 minutes. That actually is going to activate those uh, antiviral and antibacterial compounds. And then um, this is a fermented beverage that is made with um, other ingredients like um, I believe it's horseradish, spicy peppers, ginger, and then we ferment this in a base of, it's all blended and fermented in a base of the Bragg's apple cider vinegar with the mother. So that has the probiotic Saccharomyces yeast strains in there. And um, then it's strained and it's kept in the fridge after it ferments for about two weeks and you take it like a shooter. Um, so that's definitely a big antiviral, antimicrobial supporter. And then even considering other antifungal antivirals um, like oregano. So using oil of oregano, are, um, one of my favorite go-to supplements is the Candy Active supplement, which has oil of oregano in a very potent form. Um, there's two active compounds in the oregano, which are antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory and antiviral and it's the um, Cavercol and the Thymol um, so these are great um, like if you're flying taking the candy activator twice daily um, for about a five-day period can really help to support your um, uh, your body um, upper respiratory and GI tract and that's the candy activator again it's marketed for a candida cleanse but can be taken for your whole body support as antiviral and antibacterial and antifungal. And then coconut oil is a great one. So using coconut oil liberally in your diet as well as using coconut oil in oil pulling. Coconut oil has three beneficial fatty acids are monolaurin and lauric acid as well as caprylic acid. And this can support healthy gut bacteria as well as support our entire immune system and have antiviral influence. So even using this topically, um, I often recommend this as like a sexual lubricant and really great for women that may have HPV um, because this has natural antiviral and can help topically in application in that area. Um, and with oil 
oil pulling, we'd be taking a tablespoon of coconut oil and swishing this in our oral cavity for about five to 10 minutes. You can do this while you're showering and then you would spit that oil out. That helps to ensure that we have a healthy um, biome in the mouth. It helps with all those biofilms. It helps with our periodontal health or our gum health. And often when we're doing a bacteria cleanse, the bacteria tries to translocate into the oral cavity. So that's a really great thing to do to prevent thrush, for instance, if we're doing like a candida or yeast cleanse. Awesome. So we've got our master tonic, we've got our coconut oil and oil of oregano. Um, what about, let's talk about essential oils because I think this is kind of a, a two for one. Um, we know they could be used for immune support, but they could also be used to help to combat stress. Yeah. So the essential oils are an awesome thing to bring into the mix as well. So things like tea tree oil, uh, thieves oil is one that we think of a lot during cold and flu season, eucalyptus, lavender, and lemon. Those are really my top five that I keep in my household. And like you mentioned, as a two for one, they can be like eucalyptus with, with lavender are very relaxing, invigorating. So we can use these in a diffuser and um, these can be used as an inhalant, which can also help with supporting our immune system as well as supporting relaxation. Okay. And then one more piece to this kind of immune tangent, but we promise it's all related. Um, let's talk about bone broth. Yes. So bone broth is super supportive of our immune health as far as it playing a big role with producing what's called MAC or N-acetylcysteine. And this supports our upper respiratory tract. NAC also is a precursor to building glutathione, which is the granddaddy antioxidant. So really high antioxidant uh, influence in the body and also helps with rebounding our white blood cells, which is basically our army of our immune system. And then on a more uh, functional level, as far as its influence in the moment, bone broth also helps as an expectorant. So it breaks up phlegm and mucus and then helps with that rebound of the white blood cells and N-acetylcysteine, helping with prevention of upper respiratory infection. And then taking that a step further, the bone broth also supports our gut, which is going to help with so reducing our reactivity to food sensitivities. It's going to help with lining our gut, helping with things like secretory IgA and the mucosal membrane. And it's also going to help then in protecting the playing field where our neurotransmitters are produced. Um, and specifically, bone broth can help in its conversion to GABA, which I referenced again, is a relaxing compound that has a significant reduction in anxiety expression. And so sipping on bone broth in the evening can be a great way to drive relaxation and also support that GABA response in the brain. Awesome. So I think that's a great tool for the relaxation piece as well. Um, let's talk a little bit more about food because I know that after a traumatic event or during a stressful time, it can be really hard to get back on track and diet can kind of fall off or take a back seat. Yeah, so I think that food can be used to empower you during these times versus having power over you and feeling more guilt, more depression, more 
you know, hands off the wheel, if you will. So trying to use food as something that is routine or ritual can be a great way to get yourself back on track. And you can do this by having accountability. And that's really important as far as whether you're tracking in something like a a journal, a freelance journal, and also incorporating a gratitude statement per day or a reflective statement per day, or tracking more of your macros to get back on track with like a MyFitnessPal or um, a different online tracker. If you need actual structure, you might consider, depending on when you're listening to this, signing up for our virtual ketosis program, which is going to start again in January. And like I said, we're getting awesome outcomes with identifying the overlapping mechanisms beyond just what ketosis feels like and carb control looks like in a high fat lifestyle, how our body and brain and gut are all connected in the symphony within that. So our virtual ketosis program could be a great form of accountability and also group structure and support. And if you wanted to learn more about that, you could go to our books and programs section and check out our our virtual ketosis program. Or if you want to get started now, you could do the ketosis kickstart and eat fat, get skinny ebook. Um, And then thinking of an individual session could be another way for accountability or even starting with our optimal eating course, which includes just recently facelifted handouts and materials um, and has over 10 different videos all broken down where I'm in my kitchen talking to you about how to make a frittata and homemade salad dressings and nut milks. And this could be a really great way to focus on abundance and strategy of what you can do to stay within control and start to harness the wild stallion of the brain and also start to kind of check off boxes of structure of doing and and bringing yourself back in control of your body. Awesome. Yeah, I think that structure and just bringing back that sense of kind of normalcy is yes. so, so important. Absolutely. Um, so I want to close with just a couple more tips that we've pulled um, together for this episode. So we've talked a lot previously about breathing techniques. Let's just touch on that. Um, and then episode 43, our Living Your Bliss episode, we talked about breath as um, an important technique for dealing with stress. And then our last episode on anxiety, which was 54, there's also some stuff in there. So let's just touch on it briefly. Yeah. And forgive me if I've done this breath with you guys over prior episodes, (laughs) but I just think it's such an important tool. I honestly use it personally. I had a lot of insomnia that I dealt with uh, prior to getting pregnant. And it had a, a lot to do, I think, with the state of my career and and so many different pieces of the puzzle and stress response and what have you. But 478 was a great way for me to harness anxiety and um, a great way for me to kind of, I I really think of that visual of shifting from that autonomic nervous system of fight or flight to rest and digest or relax and reproduce or wherever it was. And, And so what it is, is, um, and this is, uh, inspired by Dr. Andrew Weil, And we've seen in research by him that actually implementing five to six cycles of this breath can shift your system back into that parasympathetic from that sympathetic nervous system. So from that fight or flight into the rest and digest, rest and reproduce. And so this is like, if anything, right, it's your free technique and homework that you should really implement daily so that it becomes a strong tool to use. And the way it works is it's breathing in for four through your nose, holding for seven, and whooshing out for eight. 
And so maybe, Becky, you can do it like into the microphone and I'll talk through it. <laughs> <laughs> I know we all know how to breathe, but seriously, I think if all of you listening can take a moment and just do it so you can experience it. So you're going to breathe really deep through your nose in for four. So one, two, three, four. You're going to hold it for seven. It's going to feel like forever. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And now with your mouth, you're going to whoosh out for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And you'd go back into that, right? And so it's this this in and it's interesting because often we think of when we're trying to relax to hold more air in and let less out but that also can drive carbon dioxide imbalance in the body and when we're looking at blood response we can see that as an indicator of someone that's distressed often is they're doing this really shallow inhale without ample exhaling right and we think of like yoga exhale is where the release is Mm -hmm. and so it's this kind of two for one exhale to the amount of inhale and holding at almost just dynamic of a response Um, so really doing that in for four with the nose hold for seven out for eight with a whooshing or um, and hobby more of the yoga breath the whooshing uh, being more of the dr wild whatever resonates stronger um, is something I'd highly recommend to use as a tool daily. It's not easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a little lightheaded at first. Yeah, yeah, but I think it is, it's such a focus on the letting go and yeah. letting go more so than, than taking in. And I think that takes with the, the mantra work, kind of tying this mm-hmm. into the, the last piece of the puzzle of tips that we have for you is, so within this breath, you can incorporate things like visualization. So visualization can be a peaceful or serene image. It can be driving or manifesting change. It can be mantra. It can be, um, with mantra, you can use dichotomous relationship, like you're inhaling for the four um, abundance, you're exhaling um, restriction, or you're inhaling, what's another example, Becky? Just inhale good, exhale bad. Sure, you know, anything anything that. that's that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, inhaling abundance, exhaling, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the word for not money? <laughs> Poorness. <laughs> I'm tired on this Monday. <laughs> inhaling abundance, exhaling um, uh, restriction, I guess. I had to keep thinking of that term. But... There's a word on the tip of my tongue, too. Scarcity. Sure. That's be a better. good one. That's better than poorness. Sorry, guys. Yep. <laughs> I used all my beepu bapu. My, my brain cannot compute yep. anymore. Yep. Um, but yes, but that dichotomy of, right, that all or nothing relationship of, of dynamics, right? Inhaling serenity, exhaling anxiety, things like that work really well with the breath. Using a mantra also, or this name it, tame it, or frame it. So right now I'm experiencing anxiety. I feel this way because of the flooding that I, that I experienced within my neighborhood or within loved ones. Um, but wow, I acknowledge and honor that my family is safe and all that we lost were things. We were so lucky to have the safety of our home and or the ability to restructure a home and we are in the process of rebuilding um, so kind of this name it tame it reframe it process can be really uh, nice in working with journaling 
But I also recommend if it is something that is debilitating that you do seek help again through EFT or CBD, um, cognitive behavioral therapy with a, a therapist that is well trained. And I recommend using supplementation in the Calm and Clear formula, the adaptogen boost in either the adrenal support or the stress support bundle, which whatever bank you sit with, to help your body to get above water and be more resilient in this process. Awesome. So I think we've given listeners some really great tools, like you mentioned, from supplements to lab interventions to breath techniques and what to look for in a practitioner if they're looking to go deeper and deal with some of this stuff that's underlying. Um, so I think this is this is a good point to close out. We've got a lot of great tools and resources, and I'll link a lot more in the show notes. Um, but as always, if this episode resonated with you, please, please, please share with friends and family who could also benefit. And if you liked today's podcast, please go on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening, guys. And we've gotten a lot of action on the Ask Ally tab. So I love the engagement. Keep posting your questions. And we will be coming up with a Q&A question just before the Thanksgiving holiday. So be sure to list your questions there. And yes, gratitude in advance for your reviews on iTunes and sharing the food is medicine journey with others that you love. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.